frontier gentlemen, here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual accounts. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, frontier gentlemen. Around Dodge City and in the territory out west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. And that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. And now here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this fall. OTR Rock. And now, here is OTR Chester. Well, all right, Chester. Yes, sir. So long, Billy. Kate. Now, you never mind them, Billy boy. They're just a couple of crooks like everybody else except you, sweetie. <laughs> you and me, huh? My. <laughs> Poor Billy. Well, he's got to learn somehow. I suppose. Well, the town seems pretty quiet, Chester. I think I'll go to bed. Good idea, Mr. Dillon. I'll sleep in the office tonight. No, I don't see you in the morning. Good night, sir. Sir, open up. Oh, oh, well, just a minute, Chester. Oh. Oh. Well, what is it, Chester? There's been a shooting, sir, in that room in the house next to the Alphaganza. What? Well, I'll get dressed. Come on inside. It's been raining a little, Mr. Dillon. Oh, good. Light that lamp there, would you, Chester? Yes, sir. They sent for Doc, and he woke me up on his way out. He know what it was all about? No, sir. He just said it was in that room in house. Uh, what time is it, anyway? Oh, it'll be daylight soon. Must be about 4.30. 4.30. It's pretty late at night for a gunfight, isn't it? Yes, sir. That's what I thought. There. All right, Chester. I'm ready. Blow the lamp out. Yes, sir. Sure helps. Wouldn't it be fine if it stayed this cool all day, Mr. Dillon? Uh, you'd be lost if you couldn't complain about the heat, Chester. Well, I'd be willing to think of something else. Yeah, I suppose. Mark Torvitz just still runs this rooming house, doesn't she? Last I heard, she did. Yeah. Yes, Ma Torvestra, all right. Hello, Ma. Right in here, Marshal. Who was it, Ma? Frog Mouth Kate. She got shot. Kate. It's no use, Matt. She hasn't said a word, and she's not likely to now. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of Gunsmoke. This episode of Gunsmoke is from August 8, 1953. It's the 68th episode of the run of Gunsmoke, and the episode is entitled Sky. Again, I don't know why. Maybe it was just a lack of trying to figure out what to put in the title of the episode, and I don't know. It's, <laughs> it just seems weird that, you know, the episode, other episodes are titled Dirt and Sand 
all kinds of stuff, and just one word. And maybe it was just to delineate between one episode and the next episode. I mean, you would have to give it some kind of title. But that's John Messon for you. He's creative as he was. Okay, I purposely played this segment of this Gunsmoke episode because there used to be an axiom in radio, which was in the late 20s and mid-30s, it was death for a radio performance to have silence in between. And if there was a break in the action, then they would throw music in to supplement the break or give attention to the break by putting a bit of music in there in between scenes. And, of course, the person that broke that axiom of silence on radio dramas and radio programs was the writers and, of course, Jack Benny himself. He proved that having silence in between scenes or during a scene was not death to a radio performance. In fact, it was a benefit. So there you go. But you'll find out in this particular Gunsmoke episode, they chose silence. As a matter of fact, the, the clip I just played for you had 12 and a half seconds of silence. And when you were listening to that 12 and a half seconds of silence, weren't you craning your ears especially hard to hear what was going on? It sure got your interest, didn't it? And I'll let you know right now that this particular episode of Gunsmoke, entitled Sky, has five more of those types of breaks in the episode. Now, I don't know if this was done for a dramatic effect, or the script was a bit short on time, and they lengthened it by putting nothing <laughs> in between the scenes. I'm not sure. There wasn't even any music in between these breaks. But you're going to have five more breaks, similar to this one, not as long, but the breaks are there nonetheless. And I would like to know if you think that this episode of Sky helped build the dramatic effect every time there was a break in the action and there was no dialogue and no music. I'd be interested in knowing. So enjoy this episode of Gunsmoke from August 8th. 1953, I'm fighting a cold, and I'll see you guys back here next week. And right after this is the introduction for Frontier Gentlemen. Enjoy that, too. The little man drove at a most fantastic rate of speed. I sat in silence atop the wagon seat, holding my hat down with one hand, while the other clutched the side for support. Our exit was punctuated by the princess hurling herself at my bottom side in magnificent rages, and I was thankful for the barrier of wood between us. In the bed of the wagon were numerous large crates full of cats of all sizes and colors. There seemed to be no one in pursuit, and after some minutes the little man slowed the wagon, and without looking at me, he painfully lit a pipe. I presumed we were now somewhere in the barren area between Wyoming Territory and the Dakotas. Perils. Perils of the trade, my boy. I would say. Ah, you've done a grand thing, lad. The princess there is the start of a whole new race she is. I had to have her. What? You mean the, the princess belonged to Dan? <laughs> and what did you think, huh? Then can I help you steal the caps? Tush, tush. You merely laid down a blow he'll not be forgetting. But you, you said grab the cat. I thought she belonged to you. Don't let the technicalities bother you. It is a proper thing you've done. Uh, 
I don't understand. Well, I supplied Cheyenne with her cats in the first place, and I reserve the right to have access, as it were, to uh, to their progeny. I see. And if Dan pursues us, then what? Well, if me luck holds, he won't find us. And if it doesn't? Never bother trouble, me lad. Look at me, lad. Yes? You have a bit of England in you. Why? Yes, as a matter of fact. Ah, me worst fears. What did you say your name was? I didn't. It, it's Kendall. J.B. Kendall. Ah, and I thought the saints had smiled. My name is Kerrigan, Shane Kerrigan. And you might as well have it straight out. I'm an Irishman. Uh, what's your business, Kendall? I write stories concerning the West for the London Times. Oh, that is a good town, London. I was there once when I was a mere boy. Good, good, good town. Too bad it's so full of the English. <laughs> Mr. Kerrigan, I'd be indebted to you if you'd tell me something about yourself for my readers. Uh, now, Kendall, uh, uh, what uh, what did you wanted to know about? Yes, this cat business of yours. I was going to ask, how does it work? Oh, very simple. I'm on my way to save Deadwood at this time. Save Deadwood? I have 62 cats, 62 furry creatures in the proper positions, and the town will be rid of its varmints in a matter of hours. And you intend to sell your cats? That I do, at $10 a head. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, and welcoming you to another edition of Frontier Gentlemen. This Frontier Gentleman is from August 10th, 1958. And Joseph Kearns lands another plum role as playing an Irishman who is basically an owner of 62 cats, which he sells out to get rid of vermin in certain towns. And he also breeds these cats as well. It's hard to believe that as recently as 200 years ago, cats were still being bred. Whereas when you go back to the Egyptian culture, cats were revered as gods. And if anyone killed a cat, there was a severe penalty for doing so. And one of the original breeds of Egyptian cat is called the Egyptian Mao, spelled M-A-D-U, and it's a grayish cat with a white undercoat and a white muzzle, but it has black spots and combination stripes, and it's one of the breeds that is considered to be the forerunner of all cats. The other one is called the Abyssinian. And the Abyssinians and both and the Egyptian Mao are both quite expensive breeds to buy. Simply because they are the root of where all other cats came from. The only exception to that would be the Siamese, which is a breed of its own, were another branch of where cats, domestic cats, came from, is the Siamese. Now, I had a Abyssinian, and she was very affectionate and kind of dependent upon me, but she was a very affectionate cat and loved to cuddle, and had a good disposition, and I miss her very much, and I wish I had one now. So enjoy this episode of Frontier Gentlemen, and learn something about cat breeding, and I'll be back next week. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The 
transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Mind if I sit here a while, Marshal? <laughs> of course not. Sit down, Billy. Hey, you look worried, Billy. Boy like you shouldn't look worried. I'm 21. That's a man's age, isn't it, Chester? Oh, sure. 21 is pretty old, Billy. Old enough for Frogmouth Kate, anyway. Every time I come to town, that woman won't give me a minute's peace. Well, maybe she's sweet on you, Billy. Sweet on me. <laughs> look at her at the bar over there. She'll come to and miss me pretty soon. Old enough to be my mother. Well, then why do you stay here? Why don't you go over to the Longhorn or someplace? Aw, oh, Kate's all right when she's sober. Just when she gets drunk, she's such a nuisance. Well, she sure looks drunk now. She is. And when she's like this, there's no worse woman in the whole world. I could kill her when she gets like this. <laughs> Somebody's always going to kill somebody around here. Oh, that's that's just a way of talking, Marshal. <laughs> yeah. I hate to tell you, Billy, but I think Frogmouth Kate has spotted you. Yeah, I knew she would. She gets lonesome awful fast, that woman. So that's where you went, Billy. Leaving me all alone? Shame on you, honey. I gotta catch my breath once in a while, Kate. You can catch your breath with me, honey. Not with Marshal Dillon and Chester and all the rest of them. Now, nah, Kate, take it easy. Oh, take it easy. You and me will take it easy in St. Louis, Billy boy. And quit talking about St. Louis all the time. I ain't about to go to St. Louis. I'm broke right here in Dodge. I got the money, Billy. Almost I got it. Almost enough. <laughs> you and me, huh, baby? Oh, Kate. Why don't you pick on somebody who can at least buy you a few drinks? Now they've been buying me drinks. I don't care about them anyway. Let's get married, Billy boy. What do you say, huh? You and me. See what I mean, Marshal? Ain't she awful? <laughs> well, she likes you, Billy. Sure. We're a couple of real lovebirds. Yeah. Hey, now stop that. Let go of me, Pete. I'll break your head open. Uh, you cute Billy lover boy. Oh, cut it out. Uh, well, if you'll excuse us, we better be moving on. Uh... <clears throat> Chester. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, Chester. Yes, sir. So long, Billy. Kate. Now, you never mind them, Billy boy. They're just a couple of crooks like everybody else except you, sweetie. <laughs> you and me, huh? Poor Billy. Well, he's got to learn somehow. I suppose. Well, the town seems pretty quiet, Chester. I think I'll go to bed. Good idea, Mr. Dillon. I'll sleep in the office tonight. All right, I'll see you in the morning. Good night, sir. Sir, open up. Oh, oh, well, just a minute, Chester. Oh. Oh. Oh, what is it, Chester? There's been a shooting, sir, in that room in the house next to the Alphaganza. What? Well, I'll get dressed. Come on inside. It's been raining a little, Mr. Dillon. Oh, good. Light that lamp there, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. They sent for Doc, and he woke me up on his way out. He know what it was all about? No, sir. He just said it was in that room in house. Yeah. What time is it, anyway? Oh, it'll be daylight soon. Must be about 4.30. 4.30. It's pretty late at night for a gunfight, isn't it? Yes, sir. That's what I thought. 
There. All right, Chester, I'm ready. Blow the lamp out. Yes, sir. That rain sure helped. Wouldn't it be fine if it stayed this cool all day, Mr. Dillon? No, you'd be lost if you couldn't complain about the heat, Chester. Well, I'd be willing to think of something else. Yeah, I suppose. Well, Torvister still runs this rooming house, doesn't she? Last I heard, she did. Yeah. Down here, Marshal Dillon. It's Ma Torvester, all right. Hello, Ma. Right in here, Marshal. Who was it, Ma? Frogmouth Kate. She got shot. Kate? It's no use, Matt. She hasn't said a word, and she's not likely to now. Uh, who did it, Ma? Oh, I was asleep, Marshal. Heard a shot and come right down. I... Sent everybody else back to bed and told him to stay there. You don't know who did it, then? Huh? He must have jumped out that window right there. You go get him, Marshal. He's got a head start already. Uh, who, Ma? Well, that kid, Billy Daunt. Must have been. Well, why do you think it was Billy? Because he was drinking with her all night over at the Alifraganza, that's why. Been with her all yesterday, I heard, too. Couldn't be nobody else. He well, stole the you... money, too. How do you know he did, Ma? Oh, she showed me once. She kept it right under the mattress there, and it's gone. She had quite a lot of it saved up, too. Everybody knew that. She's planning on going back to St. Louis with it. She wanted Billy to go with her, but I guess he couldn't wait, the little rat. I sure hope I see him hung. Uh, uh, Chester, start looking for him. I'll join you in a few minutes. Yes, sir. I'll go out back first. She's dead, man. Oh, that poor girl. It's a wonder she lived this long, being shot so close up. She didn't say anything, not a... Not a word, Matt. She was unconscious the whole time. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, chip in toward Barry and her doc, seeing as how she was sort of broke when she died. Nonsense. Kate was a good girl, and I'll be responsible for her getting a fine burial. Finest there is. But you catch that devil Billy Daunt, Marshal. Don't you let him get away. We'll find him, Ma. Well, you sure better. Well, let me know if you hear anything. I'll see you later, Doc. Sure, Matt. Chester and I spent the next couple of hours looking for Billy Daunt, but nobody had seen him since he and Kate had left the Elifraganza together the night before. We did learn, however, that he'd been riding for Luke Atkins. And since it was our only lead, we decided to go out to the ranch and have a talk with Luke. It was mid-morning when we rode up to the main house. And at first, the place looked deserted. Anyway, it's cool here under the cottonwood. Maybe Luke's out on the prairie somewhere. Well, if he's smart, he's keeping away from the sun right there in the house. Oh, oh. Now, leave the horses, Chester. They'll stand. All right, you... Who's there? It's Matt Dillon, Luke. Oh, just resting a little, Marshal. Hello, Chester. Hello, Luke. It's cooler out here. Sit down. My gracious, what happened to you? Does it look bad? Yeah, bad enough to skip church this Sunday, Luke. Black eye, huh? I ain't got a mirror. Your jaw's swollen, too. Fool kid, I never saw him like that before. He must have been drunk. Billy Daunt? He's been spending his pay in Dodge the last couple of days and... Say, is that why you're here, Marshal? Billy get in trouble there? Maybe. What'd he beat you up for, Luke? Why, well, he just rode in here this morning early and said he needed a better horse than his and wanted my buckskin gilding. He was all excited, and I started to argue with him. He jumped me before I knew what was happening. Knocked me out for a minute, I guess. He's gone then, huh? Sure he's gone. I came up to the house here and got my rifle and watched him go. Funny thing, though, he didn't leave right away. What do you mean? He fooled around down there in the barn for most an hour. 
I don't know what he was up to. But I just sat here on the porch with my rifle in case he got any more crazy ideas. He finally rode off, though, headed west. Well, we're after him, Luke. Billy in bad trouble, Marshal? Yeah, it looks like it. I'm sorry to hear that. He's always been a pretty good boy. Where are the rest of your men, Luke? Still in Dodge, Marshal, spending their pay. Yeah. Well, you take care of that eye. So long. Goodbye, Marshal. Chester. Bye, Luke. Well, there's not much question about Billy now, is there? Yeah, there sure isn't. Start looking for tracks, Chester. Yes, sir, I have been. The ground's still damp from the rain last night. We ought to cut this trail easy. I don't see anything. Now, look there, over there. Those are fresh tracks. Yeah, they're fresh, all right, but they lead toward the ranch, not away from it. Yeah. Well, let's follow them anyway, Chester. What? Come on, let's ride. Chester figured either Billy was riding backwards or I was crazy. But he stopped arguing after a couple of hours, and we rode in silence the rest of the day. Long about dusk, I figured we were catching up with him, but we couldn't afford to lose the trail. And when night came, we made camp. Next morning at daylight, we went on. By noon, it was clear Billy hadn't taken any rest at all. A couple of hours later, we began to wonder how much longer his horse could hold out. This is the doggondest hunt I was ever on. Billy just isn't very smart, that's all. Well, I must be half crazy, beating up Luke Atkins like that. When a man's in a panic, he'll do almost anything, Chester. Well, you'd think he'd at least have sense enough to rest his horse now and then. And it'll be easier for us if he doesn't. Chester. Hmm? Look up ahead there. Hey, by heaven, it's a horse. Yeah, huh. That's a buckskin. It's not saddled. There isn't a thing around, sir. This side of that bluff, anyway. The bluff's too far away for an ambush. The horse doesn't look very good, does he? He's not even eating. Yeah. Oh. He may never be any good again. That fool kid. Well, he can't be very far away. Unless he's found another horse. Look at the buckskin's hooves, Chester. Why, he isn't even shod. Yeah, Billy pulled his shoes when he left him. He sure made a mistake, though. What do you mean? That's what he was doing in Luke's barn, putting the shoes on backwards. Now he's pulled them. He wouldn't fool anybody. All it did was help wear his horse out even more. He had me fooled for a while. Anyway, we'll catch him pretty soon now. Well, his tracks lead toward the bluff there. Probably into that clump of trees. Well, if that's where he is, he can see us. All right, we'll ride in from different directions. He can't get both of us. Okay, sir. A half hour later, Chester and I had reached the trees about the same time. And without being shot at. There was a spring there and a tiny cabin. Deserted. One set of footprints led up to the place and two sets led away from it. Billy had taken whoever lived there along with him. Figuring there wasn't too much hurry now, we watered our horses and let them breathe for a while. The way I figured, Mr. Dillon, Billy was here about dawn this morning. Well, they won't be far away, not more than 15 or 20 miles at the most. Unless he's found a horse. Well, that's why he's carrying his saddle, isn't he? Yeah. Only Billy isn't carrying the saddle. What? He's saving his strength. Whoever was in this cabin is doing the hard work. 
You mean Billy took him along just to carry his saddle? Yeah, he found himself a pack horse, Chester. Mr. Dillon, I'm getting to have less use for Billy Daunt every minute. Come on, let's ride him down. Before it's too late for this poor fellow, whoever he is. All right, Chester. Well, our horses are in good shape. We ought to catch him in a few hours. I sure hope so. Uh, you take the side of the trail, Chester. Track about ten yards behind me, huh? All right, sir. All right, let's go. Don't bother to watch the trail anymore, Chester. It's headed right for that nester's shack there. So keep your eyes open. You think Billy might still be there? Yeah, he might be. Maybe he's inside, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Let's spread out a little. All right, sir. Now, wait a minute. The door. Who are you? Our, uh... Are you alone, ma'am? You the law? I'm Marshal Dillon from Dodge. You're too late, Marshal. You mean he's gone? He's gone. Take a look around at the side, Marshal. Right around there. Go on, look. Both of you. Goodness, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. He was killed with a knife. Yes, sir, he sure was. That your husband, ma'am? Yes. I'm sorry it happened, but if it's any comfort to you, we'll catch that boy. I promise you that. Don't matter now. Uh, he had another man with him. Where's he? Inside. I've been trying to fix him up. He was near dead when they got here. Poor old Clabe. Clabe? He's 75 years old, Marshal, and that's too old to be used like an animal. Rotten kid. I'd, uh, like to talk to him, ma'am. Come on inside. All right, Claves. Marshal Dillon from Dodge. We've known Clave for ten years, Marshal, ever since we've been here. Never hurt nobody. Sure. Uh, can you talk a little, Clave? Uh, I'll be all right, Marshal. I'm just kind of wore out. Twenty miles packing a saddle in this weather. Fast, too. Had me walk fast. How long ago did the boy leave here? Three or four hours, Marshal. Took our mule, but he won't get far. Oh? Why not? Mule's too old. After ten miles, just quit. Your husband tried to stop him, is that it? Yeah. Got mad when he saw what the boy had done to Clay. And the boy knifed him. Never gave him a chance. He's wild crazy. He sure is, Marshal. Scared, too. I never saw anybody so scared. He's in a real panic, Clay. But how come he used a knife? That doesn't sound right. It's all he's got, that's why. What? He ain't armed, except for that knife. He doesn't have a gun? He took our rifle, but there's no ammunition for it. We run out. Took it anyway. But when he came to your place, Clay, didn't he have a six-gun? No, sir. Just that knife, that's all he had. I got an old Navy pistol, but it's busted. I ain't been able to get it fixed. I sure don't understand it, Mr. Dillon. He's like a wild animal, that's what he is. He oughtn't to be loose. He won't be for long, ma'am. Clabe, I hope you'll be all right. I'm, I'm just plumb wore out. Clabe's going to stay right here, Marshal. Too old to be living by himself anyway. Good. 
Uh, well, we'll be gone now, ma'am. But uh, we'll bury your husband first. Now, if you'll just show us where you'd like to have the grave. Thank you, Marshal. The woman wanted her husband buried right where he'd fallen. So we dug the grave there and laid him into it. She watched, straight-faced, without a tear. And she said goodbye and went back into the house. It was just after sunset when we caught up with Billy. Just as the woman had said, the mule had gone ten miles and quit. Billy saw us coming, started running across the prairie on foot. His panic had made him as nearly brainless as a man could get. Look at him, Mr. Dillon. Did you ever see anything like it? He's still got a knife, Chester. Hold it, Billy. You can't get away. Right up on the other side of him, Chester. Yes, sir. You've run far enough, Billy. You'll have to shoot me, Marshal. No, we won't. Take your rope down, Chester. Good idea, sir. All right, Chester, let's rope him. We both got it. Now stay on your horse, Chester. Just keep your rope tight. No, hold, hold. I'll cut you, Marshal. Let go of the knife, no. Billy. All right, Chester, slack up a little. All right, drop your rope, Chester. I'll tie him up with no, it. No, you stay on me. Hey, you're a wild one, Billy. You'll never get me back. Not alive, you won't. Never. I think we will. Let's make him walk back, Mr. Dillon. I won't walk. You can drag me, but I won't walk. Now we'll throw him across your horse, Chester. You and I can ride double till we make camp. Maybe that'll calm him down. That Billy won't eat a thing, Mr. Dillon. He's just been crouched over there looking like a cornered animal ever since I woke him up this morning. Still pretty spooky, huh? Oh, he sure is. Well, let's go talk to him. There, uh... There's some bacon over there, Billy, if you want it. Aren't you... Hungry, Billy? I didn't kill her, Marshal. Oh? You've been running awful hard for an innocent man. I didn't kill her, I tell you. Well, we'll let the judge decide that, Billy. I was waiting for her outside, and I heard the shot. I went around, and her window was open, and she was lying there. I didn't kill her. Then why did you run, Billy? I knew you'd be after me. I had to get away. I ain't going back to Dodge. I ain't going. Yeah. All right, let's get packed up, Chester. How is he, Chester? He just keeps standing there looking out the cell bars. But he did drink some of the coffee I left him. Uh, I don't know, Chester. Sometimes I think just the act of running itself makes a man afraid. The more he runs, the more panicked he gets. Anyway, it ain't healthy. A young boy like Billy? Well, maybe you'll come out of it in time. Morning, Marshal. Yes, sir. Morning, Mr. Green. Uh, you're up early, Mr. Green. Well, I heard you brought Billy Dawn in last night, Marshal, so I figured I'd better turn this over to you. A six-gun? Who's this is? It's Billy's gun, Marshal. I've been fixing it for him. Billy's gun? That's right, Mr. Dillon. Billy didn't have a gun, remember? How long have you had it, Mr. Green? Oh, he brought in the first day he came to town, Marshal. A cylinder was loose, been shaving lead. It's okay now. I fix it fine. You've had it all the time? 
Yes, sir. I was just keeping it for him until I heard he'd been arrested. I see. Uh, well, thanks, Mr. Green. I'll see that you're paid for your work. Oh, sure, Marshal. That's all right. Goodbye. Oh, uh, goodbye, Mr. Green. Well, looks like Billy was telling the truth. Yeah. You sure can't convict a man of a shooting if he didn't have a gun. No, sir. But there's that nester he killed. Yeah. And all for nothing. Yes, sir. Well, Chester, it's pretty hopeless now, but let's see if we can find out who did kill Kate. Probably just some thief heard about her money. Yeah. Probably. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Harley Bear is Chester, Georgia Ellis is Kitty, and Howard McNear is Doc. Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Service to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. I left Cheyenne without my luggage, and in company with a wild Irishman and his even wilder cargo of freight. Frontier Gentlemen. Here with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. In just a moment, we will bring you the latest report from the Frontier Gentleman. Whether your marriage license is brand new or your wedding ring is worn thin over the years you'll get a kick out of every light-hearted episode of CBS Radio's The Couple Next Door. Written by Peg Lynch, creator of Ethel and Albert, The Couple Next Door is a warm and humorous series about a young married couple. Just for the fun of it, join us on most of these same stations five days a week as Peg Lynch and Alan Bunn star as CBS Radio's The Couple Next Door. Starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. Cheyenne, Wyoming Territory, had been good to me. And when I decided to leave, I informed the people at my hotel, packed my little bag of belongings and dropped by Carrie Chase's office to thank him for his kindnesses. From there, I went to the stage station and made arrangements for my departure. Having several hours' wait, I took a last turn around the town. I thought I had visited all of the saloons in search of people and stories from my column in the London Times. I was wrong. I had missed Dan's Bloody Bucket, a scant four blocks from the center of town. I shall never forget Dan, nor his Bloody Bucket. The man shouting was small, wearing a derby hat pulled low over shaggy eyebrows. He was holding a gigantic cat in his left arm, while with his right hand he was tugging a length of chain from beneath the folds of a swallowtail coat. He was facing a great brute of a man who was waving a broken whiskey bottle at him. Behind him, out of sight, another man was approaching with pistol butt raised. The odds against the little man were more than I could stand. Look out behind you! Oh, do you see 
Graves, a saint has arrived. Oh, no, you don't blight her. Hey, you want to get in the strangers? The troops has arrived, you shilly shally mucky buck. Man seems to need a friend. You better move on, or what's going to happen to him will happen to you. Oh, the devil and the cat, the princess, she's jumped out of the arms. Grab her, saint. No, you won't. Oh, no, you shouldn't have done that. Grab him, Chief. Grab the stranger. I'll get him. I'll get him right now. Ah, oh, you've done it, Saint, you've done it. Now grab the cat. I'll swing me chain over these two. Grab her! What? The princess, the cat, grab her, lad. Who, who, who? What? She's going by, Clabber. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Here you go, princess. Ah! I, uh, she's not friendly. Oh, grab her! All right, all right. Ah! Here now, here now, cat princess. Rotter ah! now and make friends ah! later. Who, uh, stop it, I say, stop it. Ah! I've got her. I've got her. Now let's get out of here. They're beginning to come around. Run, run. Where? Where should we run? Out the door to me wagon. They won't never come near me chain. Now watch the cat. Don't let her get away. Now run. It's straight out with you. Now, now the cat. The cat into the box. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Uh, there you go, lovey. Hey, you come on, you higher or an uptail. Hey, you, hey, you. It's Dan. He's shooting. It's never again you'll see me down at the bloody bucket. Never. And the same to all of you, thunder corruption. Six times a week, here at the Star's Address, you'll find that the shortest distance between two smiles is the Amos and Andy Music Hall. For one thing, there's always a sparkling tune or two to give your spirits a lift. The guest list reads like a textbook in applied astronomy. And, of course, right at the heart of all the light-hearted things that happen at the Music Hall are the one and only two, Amos and Andy. Tomorrow and every Monday through Saturday on most of these same stations, listen for the Amos and Andy Music Hall. The little man drove at a most fantastic rate of speed. I sat in silence atop the wagon seat, holding my hat down with one hand, while the other clutched the side for support. Our exit was punctuated by the princess hurling herself at my bottom side in magnificent rages, and I was thankful for the barrier of wood between us. In the bed of the wagon were numerous large crates full of cats of all sizes and colors. There seemed to be no one in pursuit, and after some minutes, the little man slowed the wagon, and without looking at me, he painfully lit a pipe. I presumed we were now somewhere in the barren area between Wyoming Territory and the Dakotas. Ah, perils. Perils of the trade, me boy. I would say. Ah, you've done a grand thing, lad. The princess there is the start of a whole new race she is. I had to have her. What? You mean the, the princess belonged to Dan? <laughs> and what did you think, huh? Then, then I help you steal the cat? Tush, tush. You merely laid down a blow he'll not be forgetting. But you, you said grab the cat. I thought she belonged to you. Don't let the technicalities bother you. It's a proper thing you've done. Uh, I, I don't understand. I supplied Cheyenne with her cats in the first place, and... I reserve the right to have access, as it were, to uh, to their progeny. I see. And if Dan pursues us, then what? Well, if me luck holds, he won't find us. And if it doesn't? Never bother trouble, me lad. Look at me, lad. Yes? You have a bit of England in you. Why? Yes, as a matter of fact. Ah, me worst fears. What did you say your name was? I didn't. It, it's Kendall. J.B. Kendall. Uh, and I thought the saints had smiled. My name is Kerrigan, Shane Kerrigan. And you might as well have it straight out. I'm an Irishman. Uh, what's your business, Kendall? I write stories concerning the West for the London Times. Oh, that is a good town, London. I was there once when I was a mere boy. Good, good, good town. Too bad it's so full of the English. <laughs> Mr. Kerrigan, I'd be indebted to you if you'd tell me something about yourself for my readers. Oh, wait a minute. Will you stop your blather, pussycats? <clears throat> It was on a bright summer morning when the birds sweetly sang on each bough that I first saw me Kathleen Mavornian as she sat a milking her cow. Ha! There. It's a miracle. 
Now, Colonel, uh, uh, what uh, what did you wanted to know about? Yes, this cat business of yours. I was going to ask, how does it work? Oh, very simple. I'm on my way to save Deadwood at this time. Save Deadwood? I have 62 cats, 62 furry creatures in the proper positions, and the town will be rid of its varmints in a matter of hours. And you intend to sell your cats? That I do, at $10 a head. $10? People pay $10 for them? Now, where have you been, Mr. Kendall? Do you not know that civilization rises or falls according to the number of cats in the towns and villages? And I just never thought of it. <laughs> the great plague in Europe was due to the shortage of cats. I suppose you're right. Of course I'm Well, when you get to Deadwood, just how do you plan to go about the uh, the sale of your cats? Well, I, uh, I have a staunch friend there, dear, dear Margaret. I shall make me headquarters with this lovely lady, and soon the word will spread that I have arrived with me cats. And will this, uh, this lady appreciate you coming in with all this, this baggage? Yeah, it'll take a bit of doing, me boy, I don't deny that. But Miss Margaret has had an eye for Jane Carrigan these many years. Before it is done, she'll embrace me and me cats. Yeah. Well, I'd rather like to ride along, if you don't mind. Oh, tis welcome you are. Hey up there, little one. You've rested long enough. <laughs> Your horse. She seems to love her work. <laughs> that she does. Oh, twas on a bright summer morning. Oh, and the birds sweetly sang in each bow. That I first saw McCathlin my Uh-oh. That'll be Dan, the tenacious one. Hiya, girl. Hiya. Uh, we'll give him a run for his dust. I turned in my seat, and sure enough, it was Dan on horseback, accompanied by another rider. Mr. Kerrigan clamped his jaw on his pipe, leaned forward, and the wagon flew across the rocky ground. Is he there, Kendall? Can you still see the hazen? Yes. He's closer. Shane. You might as well stop. Stop! Are you daft? I wouldn't suffer the devil himself. Get along then. Hurry up! Then it happened. A rock, half as big as the horse, loomed up in the road. Jane Kerrigan couldn't miss it. Look out! We're going to hit! ever see so many cats in the air at one time? There's only one cat I'm looking for. Oh, me heart, I've had it this time. Me heart can't take no more. Are you... Are you all right, Mr. Kerrigan? No, I'm dead and dying. The wagon's across me leg. I came for Uh, my cat, you old goat. Where is she? Kendall, how's me horse and cat? The horse... Horse is all right, but the crates are broken and the cats are scattering. Are you listening to me? I want that cat. She was the best mouser in Cheyenne. Now, you see here. See here, Dan, whatever your name is. Can't you see this old gentleman is hurt? Now, give me a hand. We'll get the wagon off him. You ought to do it, Dan. Your cat ain't worth killing, though, fella. I ain't helping nothing. It's a cat I come for, and I'm going to get. And I say you're going to help me. Here. No, no, Kent. Ah. Let, let him go. It's me dying wish she take the cat. Dan! Dan, you can see they've all scattered to the winds. Find yours and take her. I'm going to do just that. Come on, Jake. Let's find her before she gets lost. Wait. I'll need help moving this man. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you daft? What about the princess? The wagon box is still closed. Oh, good, good. What about you? The kind of help I need, the likes of them can't give. Now, come on, give me a hand here. All right, I'll try. Now, when I lift it... You try to pull yourself out. Oh, yes, yes. Now, up. How you doing? Oh, How are you up there? Oh, oh Kendall, she's bent. Oh, my leg is bad. Yeah. Yes. Let me help you. Oh, may I be forgiven an Englishman keeping me? It is more important to get the cats back. Now, break out the tripe and liver. They can smell it for miles. Then whilst they're coming in, we can make our repairs and be off for Deadwood. Whatever happened to, uh, what's-his-name? You know who I mean. That hypertense newsman who reported every wild rumor he ever heard. 
Now, we don't know what happened to him, but we can tell you that reliable newsmen like Larry Lesur, Lowell Thomas, and all of their colleagues at CBS News are still very much preferred by listeners everywhere. Five nights a week, Larry Lesur and Lowell Thomas broadcast the news on most of these same stations. Interestingly enough, their consistently accurate and carefully detailed reports provide much more excitement than cheap sensationalism ever could. It was true. The tripe and liver could be smelled upwind, downwind, probably in Deadwood itself. The cats came streaming in. And with each group, I expected to see Dan and his friend, but we had seen the last of them. Mr. Kerrigan was considerably lamed by the accident, but managed to move about amazingly well. I made all the necessary repairs to the wagon and the crates, and by morning, we were underway. We finally arrived at Deadwood, which had the look of all boom towns, a long, narrow street with wooden frame structures along the sides. The dwelling of Miss Margaret turned out to be a large saloon with upstairs lodging quarters. It was called simply Maggie's Place. You're certain this is it, Mr. Kerrigan? Oh, oh. Aye, this is it. You go tell Miss Margaret. Chain Kerrigan is sick and wounded and needs lodging. All right. Lively with you now. Uh, Mister, can I help you? Why, yes, I believe you can. I think I'd like to. My name's Charlene. Have I seen you here before? No, I don't believe so. I'm looking for Miss Margaret. Miss Margaret? <laughs> sure you are. Hey, Maggie. Yeah? There's a fella here wants to see you. World, send him over. Don't forget me. Charlene. Mr. Mr. Uh, Kendall. Kendall. Yes. Uh, that's Maggie over there, the big fat one at the end of the bar. I'll be around if you want to buy me a drink later All on. All right, Charlene. Thank you. Max, you can change to the bad whiskey now. Nobody will know the difference. Well, hello, stranger. What can I do for you? I'm looking for a lodging. Not a for... chance, not a chance. We've been full up for weeks. Ain't you heard about the strike at Gold Run Gulch? Uh, no, I just arrived. No, this was for a friend of mine. He's outside. You know him, uh, Mr. Chain Kerrigan? Chain? Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> Charlene! What? Fix up the good room for a friend of mine and hurry it up. Maggie almost cried at the sight of Chain cradled in my arms as I carried him up to the room prepared for him. There, lying back on the bed, he lifted a hand feebly toward me. Oh, Kendall, good lad. Would you be about bringing up me, uh, me luggage? Oh, the poor, poor man. You mean you want all... Yes, 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 all of them. And, and, and don't forget the, the, the rations. It's most important, lad. Now go. Why do you bother the poor, ailing man with trivialities now? Bring up his baggage, as he says. There's a back way, and it won't bother no one. Oh, Margaret, come to me, sir. Yes, yes, love. Now, what is it? Are you sure I'm not imposing on you? Well, now, what kind of a woman do you take me for? Oh, oh Margaret, darling. It's worth the whole trip and trouble and the accident to my leg just to get back and, and look into your eyes. Go to sleep, sweetheart. And you can have your friend Kendall right here with you. Oh, no. I, I mean, uh... It'll be rather crowded here. I can find a place. Well, how can it be crowded? Two men in a big room like this? Well, maybe not. I just hate to... Uh... Well, that's the end of it right now. I'll have another bed set in for you. <sighs> Thank you. That's very nice of you. Look at him, Mr. Kendall. Poor man has fallen asleep. And we stand here, John, in front of him. Come on, come away. Oh, uh, before you go, darling... Uh, would you be sending up four fingers of your best whiskey for my leg? Well, of course. I'll have Charlene bring it right away. You can see, Mr. Kendall, nobody understands Chain Kerrigan like I do. I guess he's told you, hasn't he? The reason he's come back to Deadwood is to marry me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nobody saw me staggering up the back steps with crate after crate of cats. As for Chane, he busied himself drinking the liquor provided for him and instructed me to release and feed the cats. Eventually it was over and we finally got settled down, in a manner of speaking. But in the morning, the swarm had to be fed all over again. Ah, it's uh, quite a job, isn't it? It is a labor of love, my boy. <clears throat> uh, did, uh, did Miss Margaret see you bringing our uh, friends in last evening? No, no, she didn't. Uh, but what do you plan to do about selling them now, crippled up the way you are? I have a plan, Kendall, a wee bit of a plan. Chain love, it's Margaret with your breakfast. Can I come in? Oh, please do, darling. Well, did you sleep well? Oh! What goes on here? Get out! Get out! Oh, Margaret, you've lost control of yourself. So this is the way you thank me, Chain Kerrigan. Well, you can get out too. What? I'll not have this kind of a mess. Oh, oh, Margaret, Margaret, come to me, side love. I'll come to your side. I'll take an axe to you. But it's my business, love selling cats. I told you that when I was here before. Yes, yes, you told me. But I don't expect you to let him a place with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, possibly I could help in some manner. <laughs> you can, Mr. Kendall. You can open the back door for Chain Carrigan and his cat. Have you been told last year lovelier than ever when you're shouting like that? Oh, get him out. Margaret, now would you be allowing $620 to walk out the back way? I don't care how much money you... Uh... What? <clears throat> How much did you say? Sixty-two cats. Not counting the princess, of course. I could never sell her. She's my breeding stock. Sixty-two cats at ten dollars apiece. That's six hundred twenty dollars. Now, Mr. Kendall, a man with that much money could support himself and a loved one for a good long time now, could he not? Why, yes. I suppose he could, Mr. Kerrigan. Uh, Margaret, uh, have you ever thought of marriage? A woman of your beauty and accomplishments. Well, uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I... Uh, <clears throat> Chain, Chain, you're proposing to me, ain't you? I knew that's why you'd come back. <laughs> now, when me leg heals and I'm able to get about and sell the cats, then I can make the plans closest to me heart. Oh, Chain, I got an idea. Oh, what is it, beauty? I'll sell the cats for you. No, no, you can't mean it. Now, how would you be doing that? Why, they'll buy. They'll buy or else. Who, who'll buy? My, uh, my clientele. I have a certain power here in Deadwood, as you know, Chain, and they'll buy from me. Well, no, but if it, if it wasn't for my leg, I, I, I wouldn't let you do oh, this. Oh, don't worry about your leg. By tomorrow, you'll have $620, and I'll have the preacher come by in the afternoon. Now, what do you say to that, Chain? So, huh? One thing at a time, Margaret, one thing at a time. Now, uh, uh, how would you be going about selling those cats? <laughs> That was the last I saw of Chain Kerrigan. I found a room for myself in town, lay on the bed for a moment, and, well, it was the next morning before I awoke. I rushed over to Maggie's place. Above her own sign, there was another one. It said, Cat Sale. Get yours now. On the door of the saloon itself, there was another sign saying, Closed. I knocked, and Charlene, the girl I had first met at Maggie's, came to the door. Oh, Hello, Mr. Kendall. I'm sure glad to see you this morning. But y'all better not come in. What? Why? What happened? Oh, come on. Let's walk down the street. It's about Mr. Kerrigan. Mr. Has he died or something? Worse. He's left. Oh, oh well, then. <laughs> that's good. Oh, no, it ain't. He didn't wait for the wedding or say goodbye to Maggie or nothing. Just got his wagon and left. What about his cats? She sold them all. Last night. Gave him over $600. Why, you never seen so many men buying cats in all your life. <laughs> How's she taking it? Oh, all right. Every time she feels bad, she counts her money again. Her money? Sure. She sold those cats for $15 a piece. Made over $300 for herself. What? <laughs> Why, that's marvelous. <laughs> Charlene. What? You come on with me. I'll buy you that drink I promised you. Why, Mr. Kendall. 
Frontier Gentlemen was produced and directed by Anthony Ellis. Tonight's script was written by Tom Hanley and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Martha Wentworth, Charlotte Lawrence, Joseph Kearns, Barney Phillips, and Harry Bartell. Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. Bud Sewell speaking.